Welcome back to the DHF Podcast. I'm Scott McNay, pastor of the Lady Christian Church and board member with DHF. And with me, co-hosting today, is Rick Grace. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Scott. It is good to be back on this side of the microphone with you today. Yeah. It's good to have you with us. Yeah, it's good to be back. And for those of you that do not know me, uh, my official title is I am the uh, DHF Church Liaison. Uh, which means I get to relate to um, 130 to 135 churches across the country. Puts me in a pretty unique position. Um, And one of the churches that we get to relate to happens to be in Visalia, California. It is called the Fountain Christian Church. And we want to welcome to the microphone today, um, Heather Sears, who is the the pastor's wife. Um, Heather, I don't know what Sam calls you. I call Nancy our, our chief financial officer. Chief Executive Officer. She's a whole bunch of roles in the family. So, Heather, it is so good to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, one of the one of the the reasons we wanted to bring um, Heather into the conversation is that your background may be a little bit different than most of uh, most of the people that are in our churches. Um, you grew up in a Mormon family. Um, what what was it like for you and what was it like and to, to, to just grow up as a Mormon? Did you, were you aware of differences between that and classic Christianity? Well, I would call my childhood like pretty typical, pretty normal. Um, at the time of growing up, I don't think I knew too many differences between us and other, you know, people growing up in Christian homes or anything like that, because we called ourselves Christians. Um, family was time, family time was just so important to us. I mean, I remember growing up with lots of cousins, um, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa. I mean, we gathered just like any other family, you know, we gathered for the holidays, anything to celebrate. we we did. And we ate a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I knew some differences between me and my friends as far as like, you know, especially when I, I started to get a little older, like the dating rule um, and, um, you know, just... I dressed a little differently than my friends sometimes. And, um, you know, I did have the opportunity to go to other churches when I was younger. My mom allowed that. And so, you know, when I was invited to go to my friend's church, um, it was a little bit different. You know, I, I was kind of like, what, what is going on? <laughs> like, this is weird. Um, and so, um, I, but I didn't experience that until I was, you know, teenage years. Okay. But other than that, I mean, pretty, pretty typical, you know, childhood growing up. So at least from my perspective. <laughs> you, you, you said when you, when you would visit churches with your friends, that it was kind of weird. <laughs> Can you kind of yeah. open that up for us a little bit? What made it, what were some of the differences that made it quote weird to you? Well, so 
when I went and visited other churches, like they would have a, like a full band that was weird, uh, during worship and, and, you know, we didn't open up hymn books. (laughs) That was weird, um, to me. And, um, let's see here. And then children's church was a little bit different in other churches as well. So I'd be like, wait, uh, so you guys start out here, but then you go to children's church and, but I was just used to going straight to, you know, children's church and, or just staying in with my parents and being bored, you know, throughout the whole thing. Um, and, um, they also had a person standing up that was there all the time, like, um, that just, normally did their sermons. And so that was weird to me because we had different people almost all the time. So I was just like, wait, you have a person that's uh, like the experts? And and you were like, well, yeah, that's our pastor. And I was like, pastor, what's a pastor? And so, you know, some things started to pop up that I was just like, what? (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) You know, like, uh, I, I had some questions there, like, wait, who is our expert? And so my my mom was like, well, it's our bishop. And I was like, yeah, but he doesn't get up and talk. She was like, well, no, but <laughs> he's still our expert. And I was like, you know, I just had some questions there about like, okay, well, who do I go to then if it's not our bishop? And because he's certainly not up there every week giving us, you know, an example of uh, what to live by and things like that. So uh, things like that started popping up every once in a while. And, you know, me being a kiddo, I was just like, okay, whatever. I'm, (laughs) I'm just going to go with it. So, and I had no choice at that point in time, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Scott, what's rolling over in your mind? You got anything? Well, I was going to say, um, so like at what age was it that you started, bigger questions started forming in your mind or challenging the way you thought? I would say right when I got into the youth program, which was around 12, 13 years old, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, other kids at school were more free to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do, like go to, um, you know, go to a friend's house, houses, have like little parties and things like that. Not like too insane at that age, but, um, you know, I wasn't free to do some of those things. And, um, you know, at that point in time, um, the whole expert thing started popping up and I was just kind of, you know, scratching my head a little bit and being like, well, family time is great. Um, but, um, you know, why are we doing it this way? Why, you know, what is so important about this role? I do remember asking my dad at one point in time, and I believe it was around the age of like 14, maybe 15. I said, dad, why did God change his mind about polygamy? And he Mm -hmm. was like, well, 
you know, they made it illegal in the, um, in the country, you know, the government made it illegal in the, in the country. And God wanted us to follow the government's rules. And I was like, but if God is our lawmaker, Mm -hmm. wouldn't we just say, no, we'll follow God instead of (laughs) our government. And he was just like, well, God wants us to be respectful. (laughs) You know, he was just trying to, you know, cover it up. And then I asked, I was like, okay, well, what about caffeine? Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, you know, I drink caffeine free Pepsi. And I was like, well, I know that, but I'm allowed to drink Mountain Dew. And he goes, well, when God made that rule, pop didn't exist. <laughs> so, let me, so let me let me bounce you back just a minute. Some of our listeners may not be aware of the other prohibition against caffeine within Mormonism. Oh, so you might sure. want can you just say a little bit about that? Okay, so um, <laughs> I believe it is in the Book of Mormon. Um, it's in I believe Revelations of the Book of Mormon. Um, it is a law, basically a law that that was passed down from God, um, that there would be no drinking or drinking caffeine, which is considered a drug. Um, no, you know, smoking, no drinking alcohol, things like that. So a lot of things were prohibited, kind of like going back to the old Testament, um, laws and regulations that like you know don't eat certain things don't put things in your body although we do now have the new testament saying hey things are clean so (laughs) um so you know that's what really confused me as a kid like because i was being taught both things at the same time um a lot of things were Book of Mormon based. However, we did have a version of the Bible. And so I was able to cross-reference a lot of things, right? Um, now, I wasn't the the most spectacularly like scholarly person, um, but these questions just popped up, you know, here and there. And I remember asking my parents about things and they really didn't have great answers for me and they were like well go talk to the bishop and I was like I don't want to talk to him I want to talk to you um <laughs> so uh, yeah. um were you but, given the freedom while you were growing up were, were you given the freedom to ask questions about your faith um yes and no so I would ask them regardless um but uh sometimes they would be like, oh, well, you'll figure that out when you're older. Or mm-hmm. you'll, um, we'll talk about that later, you know, once you're, once you're ready. And so, you know, I was, <laughs> I was like, well, I have the question now, I'm going to forget it in like a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, I did have the freedom to ask. Of course, like, in my family, I feel like we weren't as strict as some other families were mm-hmm. as far as like following the the whole Mormon rules and everything like that. Um, but it was, 
it was difficult for me growing up because it was it was just like one question after another would pop up, especially after something like um, a youth camp or, you know, we would go on these um, outings and things like that. And a lot of emotional stuff would come up and, and then I'd have like a lot of just unanswered, like, was that real? Was it me? Was it just the atmosphere that was created um, type of thing. And then I would ask about it and they'd be like, oh, well, you know, that's just the spirit moving. You're, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I got a lot of answers like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So were you, what was, what was your journey like when you made the decision I can't do this anymore. I I don't know that I can be Mormon. Was that pre-Sam, (laughs) post-Sam, you know, the interaction with your husband? Um, Just tell us a little bit about that journey. Mm -hmm. So it happened gradually. Like I said, I had a lot of questions growing up that weren't really answered to my satisfaction. I think the trigger um, really was for me to start backing out. It was a slow process, um, was one trip that we took to a temple. And I don't remember if it was the Chicago temple or the Columbus temple. It really doesn't matter. Um, as a youth and we would do baptism for the dead. And I don't know if anyone knows about that, but basically if your loved one died before claiming that they knew Jesus, um, or saying that, you know, they knew God or whatever, you could put them on a list that was sent to the temple. And what would happen is a representative who went to the temple could get baptized for that person in that person's name, and they would go to heaven. And so <laughs> I, I thought that was really weird. Um, but at the time, of course, like that was just part of it. That was that was what we did. And so I think the trigger was we went to a particular temple and I think I got dunked probably about 20, 25, 30 times. Um, they didn't even let me breathe between like <laughs> dunking. And I was, it was horrible like it was a horrible like my my big one of my biggest fears is drowning and so like (laughs) and so I felt like I was drowning (laughs) and after that I was just like no more I'm not doing this anymore like it really triggered me and so after that I got my license of course like at 16 you know like every other teenager does and I was like Sent, and my mom basically said, hey, you're, you're 16 now, you're old enough to take care of your, um, you know, you're old enough to drive yourself to church, you know, during the week and things like that. Um, I basically stopped going at that point in time. I was just like, there's no need for me to go. I went a few times, you know, here and there to say hi to the the." Um, the friends that I had made at church and things like that. But, um, and at that point in time as well, um, socially, I was becoming a little bit more awkward as far as like, 
you know, not wanting to hang out as much outside other than with my other friends at school. Um, and the kids at church became a little bit more clicky as far as like, they just hung out, you know, outside of church. They hung inside of church. A lot of them were homeschooled. Um, so I really didn't spend a whole lot of time with them anyway. So I was just like, "Mm, okay, well, I'm done here. I'm going to hang out with my friends from school um, instead of going to church. And so it was a long, drawn out, like slow process of me kind of just leaving. Um, Come college age, um, you know, I was 19 when I went to college. Um, Not your typical 18 year old. (laughs) So I graduated when I was 18. I turned 19 a couple months later after I graduated um, and I went to college two and a half hours away. Um, So Mm -hmm. during college, I just, I I checked out the the Mormon church there um, close to my college. But at that point in time, I was just like, you know what, this is not worth it. So I just stopped going to church all the time, like all the time. And at that point in time too, I had, I had done a couple of things that, you know, in the Mormon church are, are considered like major sins. I had taken my first, you know, drink of alcohol. I had, I had a fiance at the time that, you know, um, we were, let's just say intimate. Mm. And so that was considered major, major, like wrong. Like you mm. are going to hell. <laughs> you are going to like outer darkness, God is mad at you uh, Mm. for doing these things. And so um, at that point in time, I did seek out a bishop and he was like, well, you just need to like stop taking sacrament for a couple of of weeks or however long you think it'll take for God to forgive you. And then you need to pray. And then you need to do A, B, C, and D. Like it was a list of things that I needed to do. And I was like, no, if God's going to be mad at me, I'm, I'm just going to make me even more mad because this doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm, I'm out at that point in time. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. Mm. And, um, I didn't go back to church, like church, church until I was, uh, in maybe, um, I think it was like senior year of college, mm. maybe. And a good friend of mine, um, hey, Liz, if you're (laughs) listening, um, (laughs) um, she invited me to her church. Mm. And I was like, well, okay, well, it won't hurt to go try another church and see what's up with that. And um, Mm. I went for a few weeks. It was a giant church. It was um, one of those mega churches in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, And we were just kind of part of the crowd. And then we started going to a small group and she, she kind of drug me along. She's like, okay, now I've got you. (laughs) You're coming along with me. And, um, and so in that small group, um, we discussed some things that started me questioning again. So one of the questions that popped up was what's God's purpose for you? Mm. And I kind of sat back and I was like, I have no idea. 
honestly, I don't know. <laughs> and so that got me thinking again. And my friend Liz actually um, gave me a book um, by Lee Strobel, Case for Christ. Okay. And I started reading it. And um, at that point in time, I was on MySpace. And um, I put a quote up about a scientist, like scientists believing in God. Um, I don't remember the exact quote, but on MySpace, I put it up and Sam saw it. And Sam and I had met through mutual friends and things like that at that point in time. And he was like, hey, I see that you're reading this book. If you have any questions, let me know. And I knew that he was, um, you know, a minister at that point in time. And I was kind of like, well, that would be kind of cool to talk to you know, one of these so-called experts <laughs> at that point in time, you know, I was still young, dumb, and and didn't know anything. And so, um, so we did. We started talking, and after I started, um, he asked me on a date, and we, we started dating at that point in time, and still was not saved, still was not, still was questioning everything, but um, he basically said, hey, this is what I think you should do. And he, um, he's like, you, you really need to be saved. And I was like, saved, what's, what's that? And so like, I had lots of questions. I had no idea, um, what saved even meant because in the Mormon church, saved is not a thing. Um, you're either, you either work toward your salvation to get into the celestial kingdom, which was what they call the celestial kingdom where God resides, or you either go to one of the other so many planets that are out there um, without, you know, with, with several gradients of God's presence. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what is saved? What does that mean? And he's like, there's only heaven and hell. I was like, what? Wait, <laughs> you know? And so, um, through him, I learned a lot and he, he really, um, influenced me on my decisions. And, uh, he took me to, um, sorry. He took me to, um, this is so stupid. He took me to a concert at a festival. And um, it was Corbin's little festival called Nibrock or Corbin spelled backwards. And um, during that concert, it was a Christian band and they, um, take your time. I don't know why I'm crying. Um, <laughs> okay. So they um, they sent out for a whole prayer. Like anyone who wants to know God better and follow me in this prayer. And I did. And then that night I went and um, I basically just got on my knees and... <laughs> I begged for forgiveness of everything. And I said, God, if you're, you are truly who I've learned you to be, I know that you forget, you know, you'll forgive me. And mm -hmm. 
um, from then on, it was just, it was amazing. Um, just being accepted. Mm. So, um, and I didn't know it could be like that, but it is. So it's just a, an amazing journey that I went on and from being so confused and, um, so, um, feeling like I was not accepted to feeling like I was so accepted. Um, it was just, like I said, it, it's just amazing. So Heather, yeah. thank you for sharing that part of your story. So the question then is after that decision and moment of transformation in your life, um, what kind of response did you get from your family? So I don't think my family realized um, how far I had fallen from the Mormon church as far as, um, you know, just backing away, backing away. I know that they knew that I wasn't going, but I don't think they, they realized that I was never coming back. Um, because a lot of, a lot of Mormon families will be like, oh, well, they'll fall away for a while and then they'll come back. Um, but when I think it solidified, when I, um, I said yes to Sam, um, when we got engaged and they knew that Sam was, um, you know, minister, um, pastor or whatever at a, at a different type of church. And my dad, uh, I think he was the most dis disappointed in me mm. um, because he basically told me that I was sealed to him um, and mom for eternity. <laughs> so um, he, uh, but at that, at, at the same time, at that point in time, I could, I was able to verbalize why I didn't believe in Mormonism anymore. Um, and I just told him, I was like, you know, dad, I've been looking for evidence for a very long time to see if the book of Mormon, Mormon was true. And I don't trust my feelings. <laughs> so, um, and at that point in time, I had learned some, you know, evidential things about the Bible um, that were absolutely true. Like, you know, um, the archaeological digs and all of that stuff. So I was like, Dad, there's nothing to say that the Book of Mormon is true. Like, um, there's no hard evidence. And so he was like, you know, he was, he almost got angry at me. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, you know that the Book of Mormon took place in the Americas and, and you know what's in South America, the jungle, they can't find anything in that. <laughs> I was like, Dad. That's not true. And, and, uh, no, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And so he was rather disappointed, um, in my decision. Um, but now and we still have a great, um, great relationship, me and my dad. Um, he, you know, we just joke around with each other and, 
act like nothing ever happened and religion really never ever comes up unfortunately um it's just a hey th it's there things are there but things aren't there at the same time um my mom on the other hand i think she was okay with the whole thing she just wants me to be happy and um Again, I still have a great relationship with her. She's actually coming here within the next week. And um, we're going to spend, um, you know, a whole week with her. And so we still, you know, talk like, every, like almost every day. If I haven't called her in a while, if I see that my, my phone con contacts don't, does not have her number in it uh, for a while, I will call her um, and say, hey. But, um, yeah, so, but my dad, on the other hand, he was, he was more disappointed. Now I will talk about the ceiling for a little bit. Um, it's, it's something that happens in the temple, um, for families and what they believe is that they, um, they go through this ceiling ceremony. I've never been through it, so I can't really talk too much about it because like I said, I've never been through it, but um, it's supposed to seal your family to you wherever you go. So it kind of guarantees, if, if your family gets into the celestial kingdom, it kind of guarantees that everyone else will join you that was sealed to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, Heather, you have raised some really interesting theological questions. The whole baptism for the dead is one of them, the, the three, the, you know, actually, you know, Mormonism doesn't teach there's a hell, there's only three levels. You know, you have the, the celestial kingdom, which is the highest, the telestial kingdom, which is the next one down, and then the terrestrial kingdom, which is where Scott and I get to go, you know, because we're not Mormon. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the whole practice of sealing your family, and then if you're married, to have your, your marriage partner sealed to you for all eternity. You know, those are some incredible things the archaeological stuff the book of mormon identifies 26 cities in south america with a population of over a million and not one piece of archaeological evidence has been, ever been found as you pointed out for any of those 26 cities so you know gosh there's so many rabbit trails <laughs> but so little time so right. let me let yes. me ask you one concluding question and it would be this if a mormon family moves next door or we move next door to a Mormon family, what is the best way for us as, as more conservative evangelical Christians to reach out to our Mormon neighbors? So, so they believe in, in good works. Like that's how they get to heaven. And so I would show them, you know, I would, I would actually talk to them just like you would anyone else about the, the good news or the gospel. And just kind of show them that we do good works because we have Jesus, not because we're trying to get into heaven. Um, because Jesus is our way to heaven. Amen. And, and, um, it's kind of, it, it is kind of a difficult conversation to have. However, um, like I said, they see good works as you, you know, going to heaven. So I, I would work in the good works, you know, like 
if you see that their lawn needs to be, you know, raked or mowed or something like that, go over and do it. Just, you know, and say, hey, Jesus loves you. And he loves me too. And that's why I did this. Or, um, or you know, if you're going to have that conversation, invite them over to dinner and um, spend as much time as possible with them because time with others is very important to them as well. Um, and so um, it's not the easiest thing to do because they call them, like I said, they, they call themselves Christians and they think they believe in the same Jesus that we do. But that we, but that's not true. <laughs> um, so we have to show them which Jesus we believe in, and we have to have sometimes that harder conversation. Um, I think I did. They use. Um, let's see here. They use. I think it's James one five that they use for the burning in the bosom that they use to see if things are true or, and, and things like that. Um, but if you like, so reading things in context, if they bring that up to you, read the whole entire passage mm. to them and say, okay, so what is this really talking about? Mm. Um, context is huge when reading and they don't get that a whole lot of times they get snippets throughout their little, um, you know, training and things like, or, you know, going to church and things like that, they get snippets. They don't get the whole entire context. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with their works-based faith, um, Romans 10.2 comes to mind and it's, they, they lack the wisdom, but they are full of zeal. And so they will do everything they can to get there, but they just don't, ha they just lack that knowledge of what Jesus is really giving them. And so I think showing that and talking to them about that um, is helpful. That is great advice. If I could boil it down, it is establish a relationship, be willing to serve, and be hesitant to hit him with the 20 pound Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a slow, you have to go slow because like I said, they believe that they are Christians, mm -hmm. but if you start just spewing out things, they're going to be like, Oh, <laughs> like, I don't, you know, um, you know, this is too much. So, um, some of them may know more than others. And so you just kind of have to be careful about how you go about talking <laughs> to <Yeah>. them. <laughs> All right. Well, Heather, thank you so much. Scott, back to you, You're brother. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate you sharing some really personal uh, experiences in life and very valuable insight that so many of us can put to use. Um, for everybody listening out there, we appreciate you tuning in to the DHF podcast. Um, feel free to send us questions, ideas, um, sounding board on what you're thinking about after these episodes. Um, you can connect with us over at Disciple Heritage 
fellowship.org. And we appreciate you listening and we'll hear from you as you hear from us next time.